Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good afternoon and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Eileen Gaffin, your host of Reputation and Influence. It's a show that explores how women business leaders built their reputation, resilience, and resources to become influential leaders. Our topic today is how women leaders can build successful careers, and we typically call the guest our leading lady, but this is actually our leading doctor. Our leading doctor today is Alessandra Wall. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and founder of the company Noteworthy. Good afternoon, Alessandra, and welcome. Good afternoon. What a nice way to spend a Friday. Yes, isn't it? Well, we're um, so excited to hear what you have to say about how women leaders can build successful careers. But before we just jump into the work that you do to help women leaders, I want to know, and I'm sure our listeners do too, how did you become a leader in your field? Like, What has your journey been like? Sure. That's a there's a long story. I'm going to try to give the Cliff Notes version. Um, okay, so you mentioned my background is as a clinical psychologist. My journey in clinical psychology was very typical of most people, high school, college, graduate school, postdoc, uh, and then just started working. And I loved it for many years, probably for the first seven years, and there is something to that seven-year itch. And... Um, in my mid, early to mid-30s, with two children, a thriving clinical practice, found myself really unhappy with what I was doing. Um, mm. I did what, what I think most people do, which is tried to tweak things outside of work, created more balance, uh, tried to figure out how much of it was motherhood, and then tweaked a few things internally and alleviated some of the stress and the discomfort but it was only once I admitted to myself that I didn't really want to be a psychologist for the rest of my life that things got better. Uh, and I very naturally first decided to create a life coaching business. And I say naturally because if you think of the skills and the expertise that is required to do therapy, it's a, it's a very natural evolution. Yeah. And built a built a business that uh, on paper and certainly on Facebook looked fabulous, uh, but the reality of it was that it was costing me. It was costing me time. It was costing me energy. It was costing me money. I was funding it with my therapy practice. And after four years of trying to build something that in the end wasn't right for me, I stopped mm -hmm. uh, humbly and with as little shame or guilt as possible uh, decided to take a six-month hiatus 
and then went back to the drawing boards and created what is now, what's now noteworthy. And I've been working uh, with and on noteworthy for since 2017, and I love what I do. And I'm so happy that I failed. I'm so happy that I was willing to recognize that I was um, that it was not working for me, and that I went back to the drawing board twice with my career so far. So when you use the words, I'm so happy that I failed, when you were living it for those four years, did you feel that way or is that only in hindsight? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I went through so much soul searching and getting over all the shoulds in my life to initially step away from what I had worked to become as a PhD, as a clinical psychologist, that there was less there was less shame and guilt in shifting and in failing. The other thing that I did is I actually spent all of twenty fifteen doing things that scared me and in doing things that scared me, doing a lot of things uh, where failure was a real possibility and a reality. So I came out of that year no longer afraid to fail. And the word failure lost all of the terrible connotations that it had when I was a very active perfectionist, which by that point I no longer was. Um, so okay, so in, in 2015, when you, when you did the things that scared you, was that intentional? Yes, it was very intentional. Um, I realized somewhere in 2014 that I was setting goals for my business, but the goals were all they were all mitigated. So I would set a goal and then I'd say, but if I can't get there, I will just dot, 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 fill in the blank. And mm-hmm. that I had, I had all the contingency plans because ultimately as a perfectionist, I was very scared to fail. So I'd, I wouldn't set the right goals. They were too small. And even when I set them, I prepared myself for failure. Uh, so when I had that aha moment, and I cannot remember how it came, but when I realized it, and I realized that it was a, it's a terrible way of approaching any kind of business, um, that's when I decided specifically for 2015, my intention for the year was act despite fear. And that meant coming up with hairy goals, being very ambitious, having conversations I was afraid of, starting things that seemed risky. And I did that in all areas of my life. So I did it in business, but I did it in my marriage. I picked up um, I picked up parkour sometime around then. Like there are all these things that I did that felt ridiculous as a thirty eight old woman in some ways. And they were they were great because I did. I had failed and I made mistakes and I did stupid things, but I also had a lot of successes and a lot of confirmation that sometimes the voice in my head was uh, was wrong, and most of the time it was wrong in terms of the consequences of failure. Mm-hmm. There must be so many women that have that going on in their brains uh, with their business or in, with the companies they work for, and it's been all over the news about the thousands of women who are leaving the workforce every day. And I read your quote uh, where you said, every day thousands of incredibly smart, driven, hardworking, accomplished women are feeling unseen, undervalued, and underpaid. So what's going on? 
I really think it's twofold. On on the one hand, there's a systemic problem, which I know you and I could go into a very long conversation about how women have been introduced in the workforce, the fact that for a variety of reasons we still have to, in, in many industries, work twice as hard, be twice as available um, in order to to access the opportunities that we want. And the system can be changed. Really, I am a pragmatic optimist, very pragmatic as far as when I work with women, I work with the system as it is. My goal is to get more women in leadership in the system so that we can change it. And I work also with allies because we, we need the support. I think the other piece has to do with, with how we're raised. It, I, I've had the privilege of living in one, two, three, four, five countries, um, three oh. or four different states in America, and, and right now working with women from all around the world. And women will often say, well, you know, in my culture, in my family, I was raised dot, dot, dot. And that dot, dot, dot is the same for nearly everyone I speak to. You know, I was raised to be humble. I was told that I should be helpful and collaborative. Um, depending on your background, you know, some people raised being told that they could do anything and everything. Other people, I just spoke to a woman today who told me she was kind of in a box. And she's super cool. She's got a PhD in engineering. She's got an incredible track record. She's published. And she still believes she's not good enough. But the bottom line is we're all kind of raised to be good girls and wonder women. And the consequence of that is we're terrible at talking about ourselves. We're terrible at acknowledging our value, uh, at uh, discussing our success. And so we cost ourselves a lot of the visibility that is absolutely necessary, whether you're in the corporate space or whether you're building a company for yourself, that visibility that is necessary to be truly, truly successful. Okay, that is a big topic. We're going to come back in just a moment and explore that. We're going to take a quick moment and recognize one of our sponsors. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and thank you to all of our sponsors and our partners. And now, Eileen, back to your show. We're back to Reputation and Influence, and with us today is Alessandra Wall. She's a psychologist and the founder of Noteworthy. We left off talking about um, cultural differences, and Alessandra, you may not know, but this is an international show. So the fact that you brought that up and the cultural differences, I think that's so important. And you talked about how um, women have a really hard time articulating their value. And so I wanted to explore that with you. And when you talk about that, it sounds like it's a tough thing to do. How do you help these amazing women position or reposition themselves and talk about themselves? There, there are two things. One is, one is helping them 
actually identify like what their value is so that they can speak about it. But before we can get to the point where we speak about it, I often have to work with them to do a reframe. So let me just show this out to all our listeners. And and it's interesting because I have a, I have a course on LinkedIn. And so I have men and women from all around the world who will take the course and who will talk about how thankful they are to have a model to speak about themselves. So although my focus is on women and my goal is to get as many women as possible into leadership so that we can stop thinking that it's such a noteworthy thing to have a female CEO of a Fortune 500 or president or prime minister of a country, um, mm -hmm. this, this is really something that I see across the board. But the reframe that I try to get women to make is to understand that if you're not explaining to other people what you bring to the table, if you are not clear about what your skill set is and the kind of impact that you can create with that skill set, then you are forcing the people on your team, your clients, your company leaders to guess. And you might think that your hard work should speak for itself, but I am one of many to my clients. You are one of many to your clients, right? And mm -hmm. it's, asking, it's asking a lot of people to be paying such close attention to you that not only do they know what you do, but they understand how you do it and why you're good at it. So by, by taking the, the time and the chance to do that for myself, when women can do that for themselves, they really are doing other people a favor. Because once the people you work with understand exactly what you do and what you're best at, then they can position you and they can leverage your skill. And together, you can build successful things. You can have way more impact. That's a big reframe that I try to get women to embrace so that we can overcome what, for many of us, is decades of conditioning that says, if I say I'm good at something, I'm going to sound like I'm bragging. Oh, yeah. And so when we talk about, you know, the show is called Reputation and Influence. And when I asked you, when I first asked you the question, I talked about, how do these women reposition themselves? But you're saying that it's an external thing as well. It's like how you've communicated and then how someone else can help you within the company because they see you. They now see you and your skills and your value. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the whole point, right? If I'm going to communicate my value, it's not just so that I feel better, although we can talk in a second about how it's important for you to know exactly what you bring to the table. But the biggest reason to do it is because presumably I'm walking into work and I'm wanting to make an impact. I'm wanting to be successful. And certainly for my own business, I'm wanting to be successful so that my business can be successful. But if you're working for a company or an organization, hopefully you work for a company that you also want to be successful. And the only way to do that is to make sure that you are getting seen, selected, um, valued, right, so paid properly and appreciated, do the things that not only you do best, but you love doing. And, and in the value articulation process that we teach at Noteworthy, that is what we're helping women do. Because otherwise, what we tend to do as women is we raise hands for everything. Yeah. We'll say, oh, you know, can, can you do this? Yep, I can do this. I can do this. We're super talented. 
But then we find ourselves doing things that make us feel miserable, that make us feel unhappy. I don't, I'm really good at accounting. I'll tell you, I do not want to spend my days doing accounting. Um, right. I'm really good at housekeeping, but I don't want to spend my days cleaning houses, although it's a great backup if ever for any reason, like life turned upside down for me. I, I, could, I could be a really, really good housekeeper. I have that skill set. It's not what I want to do for my business. Mm-hmm. And you have an emphasis now on working with women leaders in science, technology, finance. Um, are you seeing some career growth challenges? Like, do you have any stories to tell us in those areas specifically or just any examples you can give us? I think big, the, still the big career growth. I apologize because much as I like to isolate for sound, it's Friday, so it's a slower day here. And not not in my house, it's my neighbors. Um, I would say I would say this. Uh, the reason I focus on um, STEM and finance is because, as far as I'm concerned, those are the industries that are really going to um, define the future. Not that other mm-hmm. industries aren't also important, but these are seats of power for defining the future. And I'm really wanting to make sure that we get women in positions of leadership in in these spaces so that they can help shape the future. I don't want to take over the space from men. I want us to share the space. Um, mm-hmm. So the similarity between those spaces is it's still very much, an, an, it's still very much old school and still very much a boy's world. Outfits might be different. The shoes might be different. The age groups might be slightly different in finance versus versus uh, STEM, and especially tech and biotech, but the mentalities are the same. So oftentimes when we're talking to women, uh, you'll see a lot of women entry-level positions, but you won't see that many women um, in leadership. My joke with finance is like if we can get women to VP, but very rare to find women that have VP, SVP roles and beyond. And when they're there, they tend to be one of a few. And a lot of the women mm-hmm. I speak to are completely alone in those spaces. So the challenge is is twofold. It's, it's all the doubt that they carry with them about walking into a space and, and are they good enough to do this. It's the fact that some really well-meaning guys are still walking around with the same biases, assumptions about how things should work that everybody else is, right? I, I like to say... Um, there are a ton of good men who could be better allies, right? And I don't think that they're, that men are walking around trying to hold women down. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I just think that we're all programmed the same way, and I see a lot of the behaviors that we complain about when we're talking about gender bias. I see the same behavior in men and women. So the real big problem in both of those spaces is, first and foremost, uh, they often are the, the, the first for the few women there. Second of all, um, they, they we're still all pre-programmed not to talk about ourselves, which makes it very difficult. And in oftentimes in the STEM space, we add a stereotype, and I'm going to apologize in advance for stereotypes, but we add the fact that a lot of these women are coming in with excellent technical skills, but might have had an opportunity to fully develop the whole EQ part. 
And, mm. and so they are fabulous engineers and, and, and incredible physicians or, or scientists. Um, but they're not necessarily quite as comfortable using their words to talk about themselves. And again, they're not in spaces where that feels appropriate. Are you seeing this across generations or are you seeing different yes. behaviors, uh, you know, with uh, younger workers or? Oh, Eileen, I wish I were seeing uh, differences, but no, I'm still seeing it across generations. So at Noteworthy, a lot of the women I'm working with uh, tend to be, I would say, 30s, early 40s up. But I'm also a member of a lot of organizations um, here in San Diego, Athena, Women in Bio, where I get to work with women kind of across the professional spectrum in terms of experience, but also across the spectrum in age. And I, I would say this Gen Z and millennial, there's more of a frustration at the system being what it is. That doesn't change the fact, again, we're all still programmed the same way. And so they, too, will struggle to speak up. Ah, I see. So they're not, they're not bringing a different uh, sensibility or whatever to work. Um, we talk about authentic leadership, which often involves bringing your real self to work and bringing in some of those mm-hmm. EQ skills. And, um, but I guess in, in those, you're saying that in those industries, um, it's a generalization, you said, but, you know, but it, you're not seeing, really seeing that in, uh, across I'm the board. More frust- I see more frustration around it not being the case, right? So whereas sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, so we just kind of suck it up and get it done. Um, and, and when we go even into uh, the boomer generation, we might find some of that too. This is just it is. So you Mm -hmm. learn to comply. What I'm seeing with the younger generation, what I'm really grateful for, I'm on the young end of the Gen X, but what I'm super grateful for because I could, I benefited from it, is is this questioning of the status quo. Unfortunately, as I said before, what I think is still there, however, is the programming that we have. So there's a lot of questioning of the status quo. There's probably because of that more of a willingness do things that are scary, articulating your value and saying you're really good at it. However, mm-hmm. they still feel scared by it. It still is, it's not something you're supposed to say out loud. I still see so many women who are frustrated because they believe that their work should speak for itself. But that's just not the way the world works. Mm-hmm. That's been going on for decades. Isn't that just amazing? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I am wondering, though, the past couple of years, uh, a lot of the workforce has been remote. And so does, does that make it even more of a challenge to it, communicate and build relationships? It does, because we, we've all heard the buzzword now, right, psychological safety. Um, it didn't, psychological safety isn't something that just happened because of COVID, and, and it's not before. We just didn't, we just didn't call it out for what it is, but at least when you work day in, day out with people and you're coming um, in contact with them, you can build some kind of familiarity. You can build some kind of intimacy. I'm not talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about just understanding people and knowing who they are. And that's a lot more difficult to do online. 
and the mm-hmm. opportunities to connect fewer online, even though we're more often, I would say the quality of our meetings are worse, and the engagement of people in those meetings is a lot worse. Yeah. So we have face-to-face time, but where's the opportunity in that face-to-face time necessarily to let somebody know that that you're really good at, at something? And and how's it going to be received? If I'm not seeing you after the meeting, I can't tell the fact that I was courageous enough to tell you I'm I'm actually really good at this. I can do this. I've I've like this is a strong skill of mine. If that landed well, or if somebody's walking out of that meeting going, who does she think she is? Which is the fear, of course. That's the fear. The meeting after the meeting. (laughs) Uh huh. Well, before we run out of time, we've got about five minutes left. Um, A really important topic is, uh, and you brought it up briefly when we talked about articulating your value, you brought up what we're paid. And so um, do women in general, do they have a tough time talking about money or fill us in there? Can I ask you a question, Eileen, very personal question? Do you have a tough time talking about money? Uh, Yes. And I run my yeah, own business, me, but it's it's still too. difficult. And I run my own business. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. I teach women how to talk about money. I teach oh, women teach to feel all. more teach confident. Right now. <laughs> I'm successful <laughs> at doing it, <laughs> and yet I still struggle with it. There there are two things. Um, when I'm teaching women how to negotiate for raises. I come back to the value articulation. I'm like, if you can be clear about what you bring to the table, what impact you can make with that skill, and why that impact is of value to the person you're talking to, then it's far easier to position a financial ask, right? It's, it's far easier. If I come in and I just say, I think I should be paid, I don't know, X amount of dollars, and yeah. I don't think I can back that up with a good reason. It's, I'm, not, I'm, going to, I'm not going to do it well. But if I can come in and say, here's what I know to be true. I love doing these things. I'm really good at them. And because I love doing these things and I'm really good at them, here's the impact I've been able to have. Talk about projects you've worked on, you know, real KPIs, right? And then say, the reason this matters too, the organization, the team is, talk about why it matters, not just what you've achieved, but who cares, right? Like, why should this matter? And I want to continue doing that. And here's what I know people paid in general space. Here's what I think that's worth. Being able to back the ask up with, with factual evidence of your value makes it easier. Then there are a bunch of other things. I mean, I wish I could teach it in five minutes, but. Yeah. I, and then, I, um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. It's, I want to go into it, but five minutes is, I can't. I can't <laughs> well, um, I there's a little bit more to that. Um, some companies are more transparent than others, um, whether it's mm-hmm. in the initial hiring or it's while you're already there at the company, uh, salary bands are shared. And so you have an idea of this is the level I'm at and this is the salary band, so I'm probably in the correct area for what I should be paid. But a lot of companies... Um, are not transparent. And so from one employee to another, they have no idea, you know, uh, whether the man doing the same job is making more money and how do, how do people handle that now? 
Well, I think there are a couple there are a couple things. First of all, the more relationships you have with people, the more you can have candid conversations. I cannot tell you the number of my clients who have accepted salaries that they thought were good, then had a conversation with a male counterpart and found out that that male counterpart, and this is in 2022 and 2021, is still being paid more for the same level of experience, same level of education. Um, wow. So I, I hate playing games, and I would advocate, advocate for having conversations. So building the relationship, being able to talk to other people candidly and, and saying, I'm trying to position myself for this, and I'm, tr- I'm trying to understand there's some companies that forbid it, which I'm pretty sure in California is not legal. Uh, mm. And then the, the, other, the other recommendation I would make is if you're doing this and you feel just a little bit gutsy, get on LinkedIn, find somebody else in another company who's doing what you're doing, find another woman who's doing what you're doing, and try to build the opportunities to have conversations. If we don't start talking about this, then we're always going to be at a disadvantage. Talking about money talking about salary specifically should not be as taboo or as uncomfortable a topic as we've made it. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. To talk to some of your trusted allies, you know, mm-hmm. and get, at, get as much information. Be armed with community. Mm-hmm. Yep. And noteworthy created a community of women. And I often encourage the women within the community to talk to each other. Somebody's applying for a job. I'm like, so-and-so does something similar. You should ask her what she's paid. I know because it's part of my understanding where my clients are in their career journey. But I'm like, you should go ask her. You should talk to her about what this is like and really creating that openness and that dialogue that arms us to have better conversations. Well, this is um, spectacular. Um, I know our listeners are going to want to reach you after the show or at least to go and get more information. Uh, We do have a link to your website that's on the radio page, but is there any other information you want to give of how to be reached? I would say, you know, LinkedIn's a great place to look me up. Alessandra is one L and two S if you're just listening. And then uh, the the website is uh, Noteworthy Inc. Co. The M was not left out. It's noteworthyinc.co. Um, and there are plenty of links to get in touch with me on that website. Well, thank you so much, Alessandra. You've been a wonderful guest, and I appreciate you being on the show. Eileen, thank you for rounding off my week beautifully. <laughs> thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Um, we want to thank Alessandra for being our leading lady, our leading doctor today. And a special thanks to all of our listeners, both here in the United States and internationally, as we are a global show. Um, After our show today, you can listen to Women Lead Radio on all subscription podcasts, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And Women Lead Radio is expanding quickly to become a daily radio show and podcast, but for now... We'll be back again for another live Women Lead Radio show on Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific time and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific. It's been my sincere pleasure to be your host today. Thank you for listening, and remember, your reputation is our business. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. 
For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.